How are you all doing? Good. Okay, this um, this message has been a little bit like giving birth to a breech baby all week this time. So my prayer is that you capture the um, the uh, heart and the um, grace of God in this, but also that there's an inspiration coming our way. Uh, is that cool? So on that note, I think I'd like to pray. <laughs> Father, um, I just uh, give this morning to you and I pray, Lord, that I don't get in the road, um, that it's your voice that comes through, that um, our hearts can be attentive to you, that you would bring um, just a a sharpening and a change and transformation in our lives today. And Lord, um, we want that because we want ultimately your name to be glorified. Amen. Okay, so are you with me? Uh, For those of you who might be visiting and you're wondering what this big pile of rubble is over here. We're actually running a series or a theme at the moment called Another Brick in the Wall. And so in the the mornings here in Byron, Neville's been looking through the book of Galatians and looking at laying spiritual foundations. And then in the evenings up at um, Billy Nudgel, uh, he's been going through the book of Nehemiah and looking at um, the whole thing of restoration and the rebuilding of br- the brokenness in our lives and, um, and you know, seeing uh, God build lives back to wholeness, which is good news. <coughs> so anyway, today, um, jumping off uh, Nehemiah, um, just a little bit before him in history, we're actually going to have a quick look at the book of Haggai in the Old Testament and, um, and see what he's got to say. It's only a little book. Actually, in my new colour Bible, it's one page, one page in the whole Bible. Um, but it has a really big message. In fact, it has an incredibly big paradox to it. And um, Haggai's name means my feast or festival. Okay, So there's something here that's worthy of celebration. Um, What I want to just put out there to you today to get in your head is that the paradox in Haggai is about um, when it comes to rebuilding from the ruins, more can be less or more can be more. Okay? More can be less or more can be more. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to open to that tiny little book of Haggai or you can follow on the screen if you can read the writing in front of the bricks up there. Okay, so it says here in Haggai chapter 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, he was the governor, and to Joshua, who was the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Um, And then he says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much more and harvested little less. Okay, You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages um, <coughs> does so just to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I might take pleasure in it, that I might be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, you looked for more, but behold, it became little, became less. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because my house, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land. And the hills and on the grain and the new wine, the oil and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labours. You know, in the Hebrew there, there's a bit of a play on words because the word for ruins and the word for drought are very similar. And so God's saying, I'm going to reflect what's been going on in the spiritual in the physical. (coughs) So we see that Haggai enters into the picture when God's people are actually stuck at the foundation level of rebuilding the house of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I just had a random thought about one time when I was stuck in foundations. It was a long time ago. It's when Neville and I first got married. We lived up in Glen Innes, up in the cold country. 
freezing um, nine months of the year up there. Anyway, we were involved in a little church up there and the church building was tiny. Like it was like one of those little churches that would have this many chairs in it. And, but the exciting thing was lots of people were getting saved. And so it came to the point where you just couldn't fit in the building anymore. So they had to expand the building. And, um, and that, was, that was all very well. But if you know anything of the tablelands of northern New South Wales, especially around Glen Innes, the soils are basalt. Um, <coughs> so when they put the plans in and they dug the foundations for this extension on this church building, they had to dig them really deep. And they got that done, but then the rain started. And it rained and it rained and it rained and it rained. And then we got this phone call from the pastor one Saturday morning when the rain finally eased off a bit saying, you've got to come and help. And they called everyone in to come and help. The ground was too wet for a front-end loader to come in and re-dig out the foundations. But what had happened was that they'd all, um, the dirt had got all soggy, <coughs> great big clods off the walls of the trenches of the foundations and the big deep um, corner holes had all started to cave in. And so the foundations were actually filling up with mud. And so we had to physically, I don't know that OH&S would stand for this these days, we had to physically get down into these holes and literally pick the great clods of mud up and stick them back up on top of the ground, okay? And anyway, most of the boys that turned up were all big hefty blokes like Hamish, okay? And they couldn't fit in those corner holes. The trenches were all right. So guess who got picked? <laughs> The skinny little chick, okay? So there I was in my gumboots and my raincoat and down this hole that was like this big, you know, and the, the, the ground was up here and like so I just had to squat down and try and grab the mud and then lift it up and then above my head and someone would take it, okay? All right, and that, you know, like fair enough, that's fine. But who knows when you've got gumboots on and you're in mud, how the mud clings to the gumboots and then it clings to the mud and then more mud clings to the mud. Okay, so I was getting to the point where it's like, <laughs> okay, I couldn't even lift my legs because the mud was so stuck, okay. And what I hadn't realised was as I'm sliding down in the hole to get the mud, my raincoat's rubbing up against the muddy walls and it was gathering mud as well. And I could feel myself, I'm starting to sink. It's like I'm getting lower and lower in the hole and heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And it's like there's sky up there but I can't see, you know. Anyway, I'm claustrophobic, okay, at the best of times. So it's like, help, I'm stuck in the foundations. Okay, so then it took about three men to actually physically lift me up out of the hole because I stuck, had to lose my gumboots had to lose my raincoat. I think they yanked my wrists out of, um, out of whack. I've had problems ever since. Oh. <laughs> and um, finally I got out of the hole. Anyway, that's my random story about being stuck at the foundations. <laughs> and they did get the church building built. But anyway, okay. I think the gumboots stayed there and got filled up with concrete. But anyway, okay, back to Haggai. So it continues on from verse 12. It says, then Zerubbabel and um, Joshua, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet and their God, that their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord and God said, I am with you. Okay. And then he stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and he stirred up the spirit of Joshua and he stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Okay, so there was a change of heart. But before we look into Haggai, why did God require a physical house? In 1 Kings 8, it says this. <coughs> this is Solomon speaking. He said, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, God, how much less this house that I have built. You know, Solomon built this amazing temple that the Queen of Sheba came all the way from Egypt and was completely gobsmacked about. It just blew away how grand and amazing it was. But when Solomon looked at it, he went, it's not really big enough to fit God in, <laughs> you know, and he got the revelation. He was so blown away that God said, I'll put my glory in this place because he'd built it with his own hands. <coughs> 
So why does God want this physical dwelling place? Okay, And it's for us, for our human understanding. Okay, God likes painting pictures of what he's actually planning and what's happening. It's actually a picture of relationship. Okay, So in the Old Testament, it was a picture that God chose to live with his people and that he was present and active among them. Sorry, I shouted too much in the shout unto God with a voice of triumph and, and all that jazz. <laughs> Got no voice left. Okay, um, and people forget, okay, we're pretty dumb, us human beings. So to have the house of God plonked in the middle of them and help them remember. Oh, that's right, God's with us, okay. Um, it was also to be a picture to the other nations around about God's plan all along, even though he had his special people, the um, Israelites or the Jews, the whole reason that was, was because he had the nations in his sight, okay? He wanted to reach the nations, he wanted to show the nations he was real, that they could have a relationship with him. And so it was going to be a picture of that. Ultimately, he was going to have one day a company of people in which he would dwell, okay? Um, dwell in their hearts. And then the big picture was heaven. One day was going to be the picture that we would all dwell with God forever, and ever okay so that's what's going on there it was a picture and the uh, temple was always linked to God's covenant promises with his people the two went hand in hand in Ezekiel 37 26 it says I'll make a covenant of peace with them it shall be an everlasting covenant I'll bless them and multiply them and I'll set my sanctuary or my home or my temple or my dwelling in the midst of them forever Okay, in the Bible it tells us that God's people were actually commanded to build or to provide God a dwelling place, okay, that would be central among them. And he would fill it with their, his glory and he would establish his kingdom on earth. That was going to be through David's line, ultimately because he wanted to bring the plan of salvation to the planet. So it was a huge picture, okay. While ever the temple lay in ruins... There wasn't an outward sign to people, to his people and the nations of the world that God could be present, okay, um, that <coughs> he dwelled among his people. Okay, there was no hope of the coming Messiah. There was no hope of the glorious house that would come, okay, this whole picture that God was trying to paint. Okay, so that's why he had to have a physical house for starters. Now, to put Haggai in perspective, we've just got to get a little bit of history out there. So we know back in the Old Testament, God had many prophets, okay, and they warned and warned and warned God's people um, about the way they were frivolously ignoring God's ways, okay? And the warning came, if you keep on doing this, if you keep forsaking God's ways, then you're going to lose God's protection and his blessing. And what ended up happening was the people got captured, taken to Babylon, and that's where they were for 70 years, okay? So towards the end of that 70 years, a guy called Cyrus comes to power. He captures Babylon and the amazing thing is he's quite a benevolent guy and he decides that all the peoples that he's captured, he's going to send back to their homelands. And the other amazing thing was all the different peoples that he captured, he wanted them to go back and restore the places of their worship. Quite astounding. Okay, so that's happening right when we get to Haggai, okay? And in the book of Ezra, it actually says that God spoke to Cyrus and told him to do this, okay? Cyrus was just a worldly ruler, you know, marauding, power-hungry, mongrel person, okay? And in it, he actually granted timber for the building of the temple, okay? So here's this secular guy, gives this massive great grant for the people of God to be able to go and rebuild the temple. Incredible. Okay, but God's people had been in Babylon for quite a long time. And in that time, they had established themselves. They'd got married, they'd had children, they built new homes, they built new businesses, and they were quite comfortable. So the last thing they really wanted to do was to go back to a ruined land, a ruined city and a ruined temple and start all over again and have to rebuild it from scratch. So only 50,000 people actually answered the call and they knew coming back was going to be hard work. They knew that it was going to be physical work. They knew that conditions were going to be tough 
because there was, you know, they had to come back, plant all their crops again, get all their animals, you know, producing again, build homes to live in. Um, it was going to be tough, okay? The amazing thing is out of that 50,000 people that returned, two out of every 15 of them was a priest, okay? So right from the very outset, they understood their whole motivation for coming back and doing what God had asked was spiritual, okay? They got the clues on that. It was like they were missionaries. In fact, they retraced Abraham's path, okay, that he took. And they responded to the call to go, just like Abraham did. And they left their established home, just like Abraham did. And they went to a land that most of them had never seen because they'd grown up in captivity. They'd actually never been to this place they were going to. Okay, and just like Abraham, they were going to go there to build a centre of worship. And they were going to go in the covenant promises and the blessing of God. And that was to be a blessing to all the nations. Okay, so they got the picture right again. All right. <coughs> so I reckon good on the remnant. <laughs> what do you reckon? Okay, they're giving up all that comfort for the call of God. So they're pretty amazing people. Okay, so they initially arrive and they're fresh of hope and enthusiasm. They clear away all the rubble and they set up the altar and they begin daily sacrifices and then it all stops. They get stuck at the foundations. Um, they just, you know, go into the motion of worship, kind of, you know, get into this routine, but they actually forget what they came for. For 20 years, they're stuck at the foundation level. For 20 years, every day they rock up and go through the motion of their religious practice and the ruins are just all around them the whole time. The ruins became normal. In fact, they probably didn't even notice them anymore. They got the altar set up, but they never finished the building. Okay, their excuse was it's not the right time. Okay, they knew it had to be done sometime, but maybe when it's a little bit more opportune. Okay, to be fair to them... They faced opposition in the early days. Okay, Cyrus, the benevolent guy, he died. His son was a tyrant and looted the land. Then he got bumped off, okay? And then along comes Darius. And Darius actually was quite amicable to do what Cyrus had set up. He was quite happy for them to rebuild the temple. Um, but the local, local authorities challenged that. You know, how can you give all that timber for this to happen? And he overruled them. And they got the timber, okay? So the timber was there, it was all, the resources were there, everything was there, miraculous provision. But still, they were stuck at the foundations because negativity had set in. This is the sort of stuff that they were dealing with in their minds and in their hearts. There's so much to be done and so few to do it, okay? Another thing that they wrestled with in negativity was... The good old days were better than this. Have you seen King Solomon's temple? I heard it was amazing. We can never live up to that. That's so good. That was really happening. There's no way in the world that we can come up with anything that compares with that. Okay? How on earth are we going to get bread on the table and bricks on the temple at the same time? Okay? And then this other negativity. No matter how much we do, we just seem to be getting nowhere. Okay? Where's God when you need him? We just have to fend for ourselves. And they sunk into despondency. Okay, if you take your eyes off the Lord and off his plans and off his ultimate plan of salvation for the world, <coughs> then I'm afraid all we ever experience is more becomes less. doesn't matter how much we do or we're involved in, it's just going to become less. Okay. Sometimes when people read Haggai, they think that the people suffered hardship for those 20 years. But the picture that we read is that they actually lived in panelled houses, okay? And that's exactly the same description of Solomon's temple, that it was panelled, okay? So they had good houses. These are pretty good houses that they lived in, if you can compare them to Solomon's temple. The problem for the people in this despondent attitude was that they lacked fulfilment. Okay, they had food, they had drink, they had clothes, they had houses, but they didn't have satisfaction. Okay, they'd come under the futility curse. Why bother? All right? 
expectations just weren't lining up. More had become less, okay? The people wanted more. They wanted more to eat, more to drink, more to wear. Okay, the scriptures never tell us that they were hungry. It doesn't tell us that they were thirsty. It doesn't tell us that they were poor and naked. They just weren't satisfied, okay? So their more kept getting less. They had the goods, but somehow or other the good life eluded them. Okay, they weren't hungry, but they weren't satisfied. They had money, but it kept disappearing through their fingers. They had religion, but they didn't have relationship with God, okay? We live in an affluent society. We live in an affluent world, okay? And it's plagued by dissatisfaction, okay? It's preoccupied. You know, all you could do is watch the news. What's unfairly eating away my nest egg, okay? Who's going to, you know, what government policy is going to rip off my little, you know, tucked away savings again? Um, it preoccupies the culture that we live in. But we've got to remember that righteousness is what exalts a nation, okay? Not economic policies, okay? There's never a suitable time to be about God's work if you're not interested in God's work, okay? And you come up with all the excuses under the sun. So back then, failure to build the house of God was an outward picture that God didn't really matter, that his presence wasn't urgently needed, okay? Or the sad thing was they presumed that they could have God on their terms. <coughs> Unless God is central, blessing and peace are missing. More is always going to equal less, okay? So, <coughs> the focus in their lives gradually became numb, okay, gradually moved away from God being central, okay, they couldn't even build a, build a thing that said God is central, okay, and bit by bit by bit they became enticed by the everyday needs of their life. So no matter how much they tried, the more that they did, it just resulted in less. Okay, great news, aren't you glad you came to church today? Is that good, making you feel really wonderful? Okay, all right, let's get to the better bit. <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. All right, okay. So, when does more become more? Okay, before the exile, before they went into Babylon, God's people had made the mistake of presuming that just because they were his people, chosen people, that they were privileged, okay, and the blessings, they were just entitled to the blessings, okay. They forgot that being God's people and being blessed meant that you had the responsibility to pass that blessing on to others, okay. Okay, so for more to be more, we have to have a heart shift in the way we think, the way we respond to all of this, okay. We've got to have a heart shift, first of all, in our relationship with the Lord, okay, it's got to be number one. It's got to be central, okay. Refusing to build God's house or to be about his work actually refuses his grace and his presence in our life. And deep down, their priority was not the Lord, okay. The work could wait. Someone else would do it. I've got my retirement fund to build up. I've got to get my kids through uni, okay? Someone else can put the time in. Someone else can put the money in. Someone else can do the work, okay? But the exiled people, encouragingly enough, okay, had been humbled through their experience. And when Haggai came along, there was an instant shift in their heart, okay? An instant shift. And so they went from feeling privileged to actually realising that, they had to prioritise God's work, okay. So, these were the kind of adjustments that they made. The number one thing was God had to be central, okay. Work had to begin straight away. Um, they were going to trust in what he said, his promises, his word, he is faithful, okay. When they listened to themselves, okay, it was less. When they listened to God, it became more. And we see in Haggai chapter 2, it says this, Speak now to Zerubbabel, speak to Joshua, speak to all the remnant, okay? Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory when it looked more, okay? How did you see it? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Does it look less, okay? 
I want to encourage those of you out there who go, well, I have got number one. God is number one in my life, okay? But I'm still experiencing less instead of more, all right? Hold on to it. God says, yet now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua, okay? Be strong and work. I am with you. That's God's covenant name, okay? What <coughs> I am, okay? According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Okay, so get this. Faith believes that the Lord's assessment of the situation is truer than our human assessment of the situation. Okay, well, I say that again. Okay, faith believes that what God says about something is actually true and it's truer than what our eyes even might tell us. Is that cool? You got that? Okay. Because we always see less, okay? We compare and go, oh, we can never, you know, why isn't it like that, you know? It becomes unreachable. Or we look around and we feel hopeless because of what we're looking at, okay? So it's either the past or the future or the present. They all look unattainable. And we get scared by that. And we feel like what we're doing is not really coming to much, okay? God always sees more, okay? And he says, I am with you. I am in covenant with you. I have given you my spirit. I am faithful to my promises. I am totally able. And when God is centre in our life, we get it, okay? It's like, ah, that's right, I'm in partner with the I am, okay? And Haggai drives this home. Okay, this whole covenant connection is like we're not here busting our guts on our own strength and in our own way. We're here with God, okay? And Haggai has 38 verses in it and 34 of those verses, he brings the name of Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, into 34 of those verses. He does, it's wonderfully repetitive, okay? And he says, the Lord, remember, Yahweh, covenant, he's yours, you're in covenant with him. But he extends it also 13 times to the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Okay, Haggai is repetitively drumming into these people that God is totally competent, that God is totally able, that God is totally all-powerful, that he is totally in charge. Okay, host meant armies. And if you read your message Bible, you'll see that Eugene Peterson says the God of angel armies. He's the Lord of hosts. He commands every power and we get uncomfortable with this. It doesn't matter what army is on the earth, it actually comes under God's sovereignty because he has all power. He directs everything to his purposes. He is huge, okay, but he's our God. He is the Lord of hosts and what he says he will do what he promises he will fulfill. Do you know the actual name, the Lord of hosts, when you begin to read it in the Bible, when it first shows up in the book of Joshua and in Samuel, it's actually all about worship. When we realise the God who we serve and we put him centre in our life, all we can do is fall on our knees and go, man, you are to be worshipped, okay? He's got to be number one. And then that leads to the next thing that's always going to make more, more, okay? And that is this little word, ownership. <coughs> when God's number one, we actually own what he's up to. We own his work. He is our God. And if we have a look at Haggai here, in um, verse 1, it says, uh, chapter, uh, verse 2 of 12, let's get it together. Okay, then Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. Okay, um, and it says, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord, their God, had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. I'm with you, says the Lord. Okay, and he stirred up their spirit. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. There was a language shift in Haggai. It began, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, 
the Lord of hosts. When they responded, when they began to obey, when they had the heart shift, all of a sudden it was their Lord. He was their God. He was their Lord of hosts. And that can be the same with us. We can go the church or we can say my church. Okay? We can go someone else's responsibility or we can say my responsibility. We can say, ah, the debt vague out there. Or we can say, oh, that's my debt. I need to see something about that. And when things are going really well, it's very easy for us to say, ah, it's my blessing. I'm so blessed, okay, to be in the house of the Lord. Okay, and then ownership leads to the next thing that will make more, more, okay. And that is spirit-inspired obedience, Okay, we're not just in love with Jesus, but we become love in action. Okay, doesn't matter if we stuff up, doesn't matter if we've been slack. Okay, none of that is going to overthrow God's faithfulness and he puts his spirit in us to help us. Okay, it's not about striving. It's just about going, I love God, his spirit's in me. I'm going to do what he puts on my heart to do. You know, Acts 5.32 says this, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those who obey him. It's amazing that the Holy Spirit is linked with obedience. Okay, in Haggai 1, <coughs> verse 14, it says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, and the spirit of Joshua, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord. Okay, and then in chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, God says, because of the Spirit stirring up in them, now be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, Joshua, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Okay, according to the covenant I made with you, my Spirit remains in your midst, do not fear. Do you know, obedience is an outward practical sign of an inward heart change, okay? When we serve, when we work, when we do that, all that God has asked us to do gladly, it brings glory to God, okay? It brings him pleasure. Haggai actually says that, okay? And it's such an incredible witness to other people. <coughs> obedience is more than just being physically present, okay? It's like, I'm just going to be here, <laughs> okay. okay? It's not just rocking up occasionally on a Sunday, hanging out on a Sunday. You know, obedience is being a mobilised church, a church that's love in action all the way through the week, okay? 24-7, seven days a week. You know, recently um, we were all down at Hillsong Conference and um, Hillsong are champions of that whole serving can-do spirit. It's such an amazing experience to be in it's just gobsmacking okay the way they have just thousands of people willingly um, serving people they've never met before just like what Denise referred to earlier and this year this year I think it amped up even another level every international speaker would just get up on the stage just totally commending them for just this incredible loving in action serving thing that was going on and um, like every single person that got up on the stage are like gobsmacked, okay? Gobsmacked at it, a bit like the Queen of Sheba when she goes to Solomon's temple. And one of them in particular talked about this young guy and you've got to get this in your head, there's like 25,000 people using toilets, okay? So this guy is in the toilets and like, you know, you've got to clean those toilets all day long not just once and then they stay clean for a whole week, okay? This is all day long, non-stop, every session, you know, clean the toilets again. And he walked in and this young guy was whistling and humming with the biggest smile on his dial, cleaning the toilets, serving in the massive big house of the Lord called the Acer Arena, okay? With absolute, like, love dripping out of everything he was doing, okay? Incredible, incredible, okay? Zechariah, who was a contemporary to Haggai, says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, we don't strive. It's spirit-enthused. And what a change. 
I want to change when it's love in action and not like this begrudged duty, okay? And then blessing and peace come, okay? We need to have a confidence that, yes, we can commit to the work that the Lord has put on our heart because we partner with him and he's going to make it bear fruit, okay? He will see things come to pass that he's promised. He's active, okay? Our God is active. It's not just all on us, okay? We partner with him. In Haggai 2, 6 to 9, it says this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come in and I will fill this house with glory. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord, and I will give my peace, okay? When we add the God factor, when we make him central, okay, more always becomes more, okay? We can't get away from it. Haggai 2, 18 to 19 says, Consider from this day onward, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig, the pomegranate, the olive tree, they've yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you, okay? God's going, you've begun, Okay, looks like nothing's happening, looks small and insignificant, but don't worry, I am going to bless you. From this day forward, God's blessing is going to be poured out. Okay, even what looks less to us is going to become more because of the I am God factor. Okay, so this is the transition that God takes us on. We start off at, I can't. Therefore, I won't. And by the power of his Holy Spirit and his love flowing through our life, he transforms us into, I can't, but he can. So I will. Okay? That's huge. Because it's not about us. When it's about him, less becomes more. When we're down at Hillsong, somebody actually put this up as an offering message and I scribbled it down really quickly and uh, it's been sitting in my gullet since then and I thought, ah, this is the right moment to bring it out. It's actually about the more choice, okay? It fits right in with this. So on one side, more is less, okay? And that's when we have an attitude of like we're just getting by, we're just maintaining, you know? We're just keeping our head above water, Okay, or when it comes to the Lord's work, it's optional. It doesn't really mean me, it's them, it's all those other people. Um, there's a reluctance in our attitude, okay? It's not really relevant to where I'm at at the moment. Um, or we're entitled, it's all right, I'll just turn up. It'll still be there, okay? God's not going anywhere, I hope, <laughs> okay? Or it's the more is more. And when God is in it, then... We don't just maintain, we multiply, okay? God things grow. We can't help it. We get an ownership in our heart which outflows in obedience in our action because we're in relationship with the one true living God and we understand that we're no longer entitled but we are entrusted. We have this awesome privilege of sharing the gospel of serving in the house of the Lord. Incredible. So, more can actually be more, but it can be even more than more. <laughs> okay, are you ready for this? Okay, in Haggai 2, 7 and 9, it says, I'll shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. I'll fill this house with glory. And <clears throat> the latter glory of this house is going to be even greater than the former, okay? What was more, it's going to be more than more. Isn't that amazing? Incredible. God's future purpose is going to be achieved and it's more glorious than what we could ever, ever imagine, okay? In John 2, it says this about Jesus. <coughs> Destroy this temple, Jesus speaking of himself, and in three days I'll raise it up. 
The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he'd said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Then in Ephesians chapter 2, 17 to 22, it says, And Jesus came and he preached peace to all of you who were far off, that's us, and peace to those who were near, that was God's original people. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We've got relationship. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together and it grows into the holy temple. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, Jesus spoke of his own body as the temple. He was ruined on the cross, but he was raised from the dead. He became the chief cornerstone, the precious cornerstone, okay, of the holy temple that we actually make up as living stones, growing, okay? It's an organic thing. We are the believers, okay, that make up those living stones that create the dwelling place of God on the earth at this time, filled with his Holy Spirit. Okay, we're a blood-washed church. We represent him in splendor. Okay, this is the new temple. All the nations of the world will flock into the church of Jesus Christ and hear the transforming word of peace. Okay, she might not look like that now, okay? She might not look splendor and glory. She might not look like that, but just you wait, okay? Because God has promised that more is going to be more than more, okay? And in Revelations, it speaks of heaven and it says in twenty-one, twenty-two, I saw no temple, okay? For its temple is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts and the Lamb, Jesus. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, all the nations are going to walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. They will bring to it the glory and honour of the nations. Wow, more is going to be more than more. Okay, but there's more, okay? <laughs> and the musicians might want to come up while we just bring this to a close. <coughs> you know, Haggai, it's only a little book. A little, little book. And it begins with Zerubbabel and it actually ends with Zerubbabel. It begins with Zerubbabel as the governor but it ends with Zerubbabel the servant, okay? And in chapter 2, verse 23, it says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. You know, Zerubbabel fits in that genealogy line that we find in Matthew, okay? It's kind of go, why do we have this thing sitting in scripture? But Zerubbabel's actually placed in that lineage of David, in the royal line of Jesus Christ, okay? So there he sits as one of the people that Jesus was going to come through. <clears throat> do you know, a signet ring was engraved and it had the king's seal name put on it. And the signet ring actually represented all authority, all purchasing power. It was incredibly precious. It was kept safe. <clears throat> the king would wear it on his finger or he'd wear it on his arm or he would wear it on a necklace around, around his neck and it would hang right near his heart. Song of Solomon says that that's where it hangs, right near his heart. And I want to leave you with this today, is that Jesus is that signet ring, okay? He is the precious chosen one, but we also are that signet ring because 
We are his precious chosen ones. So above all, Jesus needs to be central in our heart. He's got to be at the centre of our heart because Jesus is more than more than more. Amen? I can feel a song coming on. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Sue. Um, just quickly wanted to say something. Um, has anyone uh, here into football? Any football fans? No, yeah, there's a couple. Um, has anyone ever heard of the, uh, the football church? Football church is a church where you've got a couple of people on the field and a whole big crowd cheering them on. The people on the field are doing all the work. Um, and as the game goes on, the players get tired and um, you're cheering your, your players on. When things go wrong, or when things are going right, you, you're cheering them on there behind them and they get, you know, they start to burn out, they start to get tired and, and then people start to become critical of the, the players there doing all the work. And, I'm just so glad I, you know, I'm a part of a church where we've got so many, so many players on the field, um, day in, day out, week in, week out. And, um, yeah, it's a real blessing. Let's stand. Thanks, Matt. Oh, 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 oh. 
believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. How God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection. That we will rise again. Oh, I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. How God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection. That we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion. And in your holy church, I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. How God is I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Great word, wasn't it? Fantastic. Love to share the um, ministry time this morning and uh, this, call, this call. And uh, I thought, what do we share? And Sue, Sue started sharing about being stuck in that mud, in that, uh, in that pit. You know, a scripture came to mind. And I was just seeing back on many years ago, we had a, uh, a, a couple were living beside. And uh, these guys were quite anti Christ. They'd been through the whole religious thing, got really offended by the church. Got stuck in these guys who got stuck in the Eastern religion and all sorts of weird philosophies. Thomas didn't want much to do with us as, as uh, neighbors in regards to Christianity. But one thing led to another, they end up in a time of real crisis.